This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 165. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, coming at you from Valencia, Spain on my little workation right now. I'm here with my big, bald, beautiful Chris Graham co-host. Chris Graham, I just messed that up. How you doing today, Chris? I am having a fantastic day. And we're also with another bald and beautiful friend here, Mr. Mike McDermott, the uh, CEO of FreshBooks. We have an incredible interview lined up for you here. I already know ahead of time, we haven't done this interview yet, but I already know this is going to be incredible because this is somebody we've been looking to have on the podcast for a while. We actually had an episode, a couple episodes about a book you wrote a while back called Breaking the Time Barrier. And I know we're going to get into all that stuff. So anyway, say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Delighted to be here. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian and Chris. Yeah. That, yeah okay. <laughs> the hi, Mike thing. Oh my gosh. I'm we're sorry. pumped, man. Like Brian mentioned, we've talked about breaking the time barrier again and again and again. And Brian and I are both sort of uh, business book nerds. And so we've read a lot of business books. And I, I think on previously in the podcast, I think at one point we both agreed like, Breaking the Time Barrier is one of the best business books of all time. And it's a free PDF that you can download right now and read in 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Yeah. So uh, the episodes that we actually did that on is episodes 84 and 85 of the podcast. Go back and re-listen to those where Chris and I really kind of go play by play. We break down. It's almost like a, a book study or a, yeah. like a, yeah, like with, with just Chris and I. So go reread. If you did already, go read Breaking the Time Barrier. Go listen to those episodes. But we have Mike here because we want to talk about some of these concepts from the man himself, the person who wrote this book and the person who, I want to say, implemented those things better than anyone and then stair-stepped. We actually had an episode last week, if you listen to Austin Hull's interview, how he stair-stepped from freelance income to passive income. Mike has also done that because he used his freelance business to fund FreshBooks, which is now, how large is FreshBooks now, Mike? We're a little over 500 people now, but 20 million people have used the service since wow. we got it. And if you check the news, we just became one of those, you know, funny looking horses with a horn on its head. So that's, um, <laughs> you know, all kind of ways to approximate how big. Got it. So for those who don't are familiar with the term uh, unicorn, that typically just means a business that's valued over a billion dollars. So that's how, uh, that's how stair-stepping to passive income from freelance income can uh, get you after years and years and years. Did you, when did you launch uh, FreshBooks at the very beginning? What oh, was that? We launched in 2004, really more like 2006 because we had no idea what we were doing, but you know, almost, almost two decades ago. So not exactly an overnight success and yet you know, still, still kind of one of those. Ahead, There's something beautiful and poetic about you were a freelancer and then you built a company to help freelancers and now you are crushing it. That is just, that is so cool. Yeah. I have privilege, privilege, very fortunate. It's uh, it's all gone like this and there's been lots of hard work and lots of good things behind the scenes. But yes, you know, I was, I was pretty early into it. When I got into freelancing, people thought it was a strange thing to be doing. Like, you know, 99, 2000, it's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. And, and the world really wasn't, wasn't built for it. And so it's been one of the, you know, great sort of joys of my life is to see how it's, it's become but I don't want to say mainstream just yet because I don't think it's even all the way there yet. But the, the world is starting to conform to being able to work for yourself, do it successfully, and uh, have have a, many fewer obstacles, more opportunities, and and you know, and and a much wider variety of roles that kind of work in this way, which is super exciting. Yeah. So, kind of your background is you were doing freelancing, and it based on the book, at least the way you positioned it, it was 
I don't know if it was driving you crazy, but there were parts of it that was driving you crazy as a freelancer. So you, you kind of revamped your, your business a bit. Instead of building your life around your business, you kind of revamped your business to be more fitting to your life. And the life that you're trying to build was, I need to solve this problem of invoicing. That was the problem that was at the time. It was like trying to invoice and bill my clients was a big pain in the ass. That was like early 2000s, I think was the time that that started happening. And you, you wanted to be able to launch this new software startup, but the problem was, you know, you need money to do that, especially back then. There weren't all these amazing tools and resources you could go to to bootstrap a, a startup from the ground up for essentially free these days. Back then, it took a lot of capital. So you, from what I gather, you kind of revamped your entire freelance business to where you worked down to like 19 days and generated 200K in a year. You used that money and all the, the free time you had for the rest of the year to kind of get started, uh, get FreshBooks started. Is that right? Or am I way off here? No, no, that's that's right. I, I, I was first a design firm helping people with websites and internet marketing. And then, yes, yeah, saved over an invoice one day, said there has to be a better way to do this. And as soon as I did that, I really liked the product building side. I loved the services side for the years I, I did that. But there was something about building a piece of software. We didn't know where it was going to go, what it was going to be. And I'd never worked anywhere before. So it's one thing to run a service business. It's another thing to run a product company. And it's, it's, it, it, I like to call it three-layer chess, like multidimensional chess. There's just a lot going on. You got to build a brand. You got to build a team. You got to lead them. You got to raise capital in some cases. There's just so many different things to learn how to do. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, by virtue of that, I pretty quickly putting all my time all the time I could into the the startup. And um, eventually, yeah, I was doing, I did one year, I did 19, 19 days, made over 200K. And that that helped kind of keep the lights on and help us hire the team and get FreshBooks off the ground. So I, I would love to, if we can, to shift the conversation to the changes you made around that time to to maybe scale down your time, scale up your price per project. I believe you probably change a lot in pricing, maybe even some stuff in systems, but I think a lot of it comes down to what is covered in breaking the time barrier, which is value-based pricing. The ability to charge an extraordinary amount of money for a relatively small amount of time because of how much value is being brought. Is that, is it my offer? Was there more to I, it than that? I, 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 I will take a little of the hyperbole out of it and, um, and just say being able to divorce how much you make from how much time you, you work. And I think there's some really good reasons for that. So why don't I just take a minute? I'll set the table on breaking the time barrier, and then we can go over where you folks want to go with it. In building FreshBooks, one of the things we did early on, so I'd, I'd run the agency, I'd started running FreshBooks, and we did these customer dinners. So we'd fly to a conference, and I'd take a bunch of customers out to dinner in that town and literally just call them up and say, hey, let, let's go to dinner. We'll, we'll pay. You all meet each other. It'll be great. And what happened as I did those, I just, I realized people were struggling with things that I had struggled with when I was running my, my, my shop and, and chief among them was pricing. How much do I charge? <laughs> but, you know, which is really, it's kind of a big question and it's a bit of a journey. So there's obviously like people, what I have found is most people just start charging something when they find their first client. It's a little bit like if you're using Word and Excel, it's probably because you did something for somebody to bill your clients. If you, if you did something for somebody, they probably said, hey, can you send me an invoice? And you're like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to build something in a Google Doc or something and send it off. And honestly, that's just not the way to run your business. If you're still doing it that way, go check out FreshBooks. H having said that, pricing's the same way. You know, it's, it's almost like an afterthought in a lot of cases. First, it's like, can I find the customer? Can I, can I, you know, can I get them to say yes to me? Can I do some things for them? Somewhere along the way, you might have to quote something and you scratch your head as to how to do it. You probably massively undercharge uh, for, your, for your value. So I was looking at all this at all these customer dinners and I said, there's just got to be a way. Well, why don't I just share 
some of the lessons I learned on my journey. And I, I went from pricing basically a project and kind of brochure rate to, to value-based pricing. And, and the thing about value-based pricing is it's really about, instead of thinking about how much does something cost, it, it's going on a journey and doing a lot of seek to understand with your client to understand, hey, what is your objective client? Where are you trying to get to? And how valuable is that thing for you? And then saying, okay, well, I can help you on that journey and I will charge you a portion of the upside. And that's going to be my price. And since we know where you're going and I'm committing to sign up and help you get there, me charging a small price of that is going to make a lot of sense. And so that's a, a simplistic way to you know, think about it. Maybe not the most accessible, but, but it, is, it is fundamentally a shift from not billing by the hour, but billing for value. And at the risk of running a little bit long, I just, you know, I, I, I love talking about why billing by the hour is wrong, just to give an example, because so many people do it. That's the majority of our audience. The majority of our audience is, is billing by the hour or per day, which is just a glorified day, uh, hour rate. Yeah, it, it's a terrible way to go, you know, because, you know, a whole bunch of reasons, especially the hour, the day, maybe uh, it's still same kind of time-based construct. The billing by the hour, the reason I don't like it, the most fundamental one is you're pitting yourself, you and your client against each other. How so? When you bill by the hour, you are incented to work longer and they want you to work less. Right off the hop, you're on opposite sides of the table. Personally, I like to partner with my clients. I like to be on the same side. I like to be going in the same direction. I want a win for you to be a win for me. All that good stuff. And when you're billing by the hour, it's not like that. And, you know, also usually it's uncertain how much something is going to cost. And so people people don't like the, I mean, I, I don't like to, like if I engage somebody in a contract, I'd rather know how much it's going to cost. And I will actually pay a little more just to know it's fixed. It's $3,500 to fix your porch. Great. You know, it might be cheaper if they go by the hour. It might be $2,700. But the fear <laughs> up front of not knowing, I'll take a little bit to just have some certainty on that. So anyways, by the way, that certainty is part of the value that you get to with value-based uh, billing. So that's a little bit of a primer, some of the problems with some of the classic models. There's, there's a bunch more, but I, I wrote that book to, to help others. Yeah, so I think that's probably, I think you've hit the nail on the head right there is people, people fear on both sides the going over the hours thing. So on the freelancer side, they, they, they're afraid of doing flat, like a project-based or value-based pricing, which we may get into the difference of that later on, but they, they're, they're afraid of qu quoting a flat rate because of the potential that it goes over in hours. And now their, their hourly worth is diminishing for every extra hour they work than they thought it would. But on the, on the client side now, if you're paying per hour, they're afraid it's going to keep going on and on and on forever. So that scope creep where it just keeps, all right, I guess it's not scope creep. That's a different thing. But the, the, the project just keep going and going and going. And you're saying that like, when you charge per hour, you are pitting yourself up against the, the client because I just love that. You're just on opposite ends. You want, the client wants this done as fast as possible to the quality they expect. And the freelancer wants it to just drag on and be perfect. And, and those dollars keep adding up because they don't have to go find another client. Well, and there's a difference there with what you're talking about, Mike, with selling on value-based pricing, you're talking about selling transformation. When you're selling hourly, you're just selling labor, which is not going to transform anything unless it's yeah. good labor. I, I like to sell the outcome, right? So it's like, hey, you, you want, it's like you want to buy an outcome client. You don't want to buy a bunch of hours that don't necessarily go anywhere. You want to know this outcome 
that I seek that we're going to go there. And so it could be I want to increase the revenue in my store. It could be that I want to save a bunch of costs. It could be, I don't know. And by the way, this is part of the journey. You need to figure out how to instrument and measure that and align with your client around it. But but you want the client, and I feel like the client has a right to purchase an outcome, not just a bunch of hours, right? That's a reasonable expectation. And so, yeah, so that, that, that's what they're buying. And you're saying, hey, I'll, I'll charge you for that. But I think, and I'm sure we'll go here in a second, but I will say uh, the magic wand is you have to do a bunch more work up front with your client to make this model successful because you have to take the time to understand what is success to them and assess whether you are actually equipped to, to deliver it for them. And you might say, you know, you're trying to do that. That's not me, but I can introduce you to somebody. Alternatively, that is very much me and I will help you. And this is going to be great. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would love to to touch more on that is determining what is value to that client. Because if you don't understand the value you're bringing to the client, there's no way you can price based on value. So let's talk about. Well, I think, and importantly, there's no way for them to assess whether you've been valuable or not, unless you are all on the same page. And so what I always like to do, and I started out very naturally with stuff like for reasons of just pure intuition, I always used to in the first client meeting, okay, we're going to sit down. And before we do anything, I would like, tell me this, tell me the origin story of your company. What's your history? What do we want to know? These are complete intangibles. Okay. But the point is I wanted to understand the client the context in which this project lived, like where they're going, the arc of their journey and where this fits in. And so that's that's pretty soft stuff and it's good rapport building stuff. You can do that whether you're doing value-based pricing or not. And I was not at the start, but that is something that I did do. And then once you get into, you know, sort of working towards, well, how much should this thing cost? I think what you want to do next is, is steer the conversation to asking the client, okay, what is the objective you're seeking? And if it's, you know, often I serve businesses, but it could be consumers Uh, in businesses. You're either, you know, simplistically, you're either trying to grow your revenue usually or shrink your costs. It could be another objective, you know, figure out what it is, maybe some kind of brand improvement affinity with, you know, sort of target audience or something. I, I don't know what. The point is you have to ask them. A lot of people skip that step. And and what's amazing is so often the clients don't know themselves. So the first part of value in working with you is often, you know, pushing them to get clear because like I don't want to be in business with you serving you if you have unclear unrealistic expectations for me so let's let's do some work and let me ask you some questions and try and tease out of you what you're trying to accomplish and by the way with the client they may have four people in the room and three different agendas and so (laughs) you gotta you gotta pull that all apart and say okay okay you all are saying different things you know what is it can we get you know a shared understanding of this and and that's actually yeah sort of alignment is just such a big piece of this between you and your client, but making sure your client has it within their own, their own shop. So getting clarity on what the objective is. And then, and then once you have that, it's like, okay, here's how I can help. Or, you know, in some cases it's like, I can't help. I'm not the person for this. Yeah. So this is one of those things that I really wish I knew when I was still producing bands back in like 2013, 2014, 2015, because I would have, and this is, this is an interesting thing for our audience. If you're not working directly with businesses, because businesses, it's all about revenue or costs. Like you just said, when you're working with creative clients, like musicians, that's not necessarily part of the conversation. It's more about sometimes it's ego. Sometimes it's self-actualization. There's nothing really inherently tied to money with their goals or their outcomes. But at the end of the day, they really haven't even thought of those. They haven't externalized what those goals were or are. So having these conversations with these clients, especially on the more creative side of things, it's really important because they haven't even likely thought of these things themselves. So they don't even know what success is to themselves. So if you were to do the project, even if it is exactly what they asked for, 
it may not be what success is to them. So what Mike is just saying here is essentially just sit down with a client, ask questions. For me in my day, back in the day of producing bands was like, tell me about the beginning of your band. Tell me about your journey so far. Tell me about where you want to be as a band. Do you want to get signed? Do you want to tour? Do you want to play arenas? Or do you want to just, is this something you want to leave your kids as a part of your legacy? Like these are all questions you would ask a client like what I was working with back in the day. They'll start to lay out what the path to success is to them. And then whenever you know what that path to success is, you'll be able to figure out whether or not you are the one that can actually guide them there or help get them there. And if you can't, then that's, it's okay to say no to those, those problems. I, I, I imagine, Mike, that there were plenty of clients that you had to say no to because if you would have said yes, it would have been a, a nightmare project that was toxic for everyone involved. Well, and I was just going to say, if they don't get clear, can't get clear or won't get clear, just walk away. Just say, no, thanks. This isn't for me. I don't see how I can be successful if you can't get be clear with your expectations or what outcome you're seeking. So I'm, I'm just going to steer clear of this, right? That's, that's a sign. You know, that's a sign that it's a problem. Anyhow, it's, a, it's, another, it's good to have these upfront conversations and understand each other. By the way, it makes the work deeper and more rewarding as well once you mm-hmm. understand. And now it's like, oh, okay, you're trying to get there. I can help you. That's a, that's a good feeling. Yeah, I feel like going back to myself, this is me preaching to myself, what is this, six years ago, something like that, where I would just, the band would send me, the client would say, hey, here's what I want. Bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. It's like, I want 10 songs. I want these mixed and mastered. What is your price? And, and I would say, this is my price. Take it or leave it. And that was, a, that was the extent of my sales system. <laughs> like that was, <laughs> that was how I did my pricing. I hope this is worth it for you. Do you like what I do? And if I would have done what Mike says, like I would have had so many more clients because I would have had more people on my team. They would have said, oh, Brian actually gives a damn because the last three producers I reached out to were just giving me rates based on what we said. Instead, Brian's asking questions, showing interest, actually guiding us on this this journey that we haven't even gone through ourselves. And so I feel like I trust Brian more. So Mike, again, this is just stuff I wish I knew six or so years ago. You got to know if it's a concept album or not, right? That's one question. Okay. That's actually, that's another question. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's a little bit on like how to determine pricing, just really digging in figuring out where they are, where they want to be, and if you can actually be the one to help them. But is there, is there ever a time that, that hourly pricing makes sense? What about like, because we have a lot of people in our audience that are still on the beginner side of things. Is hourly, should you go straight to value-based pricing as a beginner? This is one of the things. And so maybe I'll make a little plug for breaking the time barrier here. It, it's been read by over a quarter million people at this point. It takes about an hour to read. And it's all about how to, like the purpose of the book, the reason I wrote it was, I just saw so many people stuck in however they were billing but aspiring to get to the other thing and no clue how to go from here to there. So the whole book is actually around trying to take your mental headspace, your mindset from one understanding of how to price to another. And that's the whole purpose, nothing more. And, you know, as you go on that journey, you know, you sort of learn and you can see parts of it. And, you know, there's some, some, it's written like a fable, so you can kind of experience it. And, and I know fable books are not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but but it, it is. It's only forty five minutes, so it won't be too bad. Anyhow, the fable helps you go through that journey as kind of a lived experience for yourself, and then you step out of the book and you say, "Oh, geez, how would I how would I recreate this in my own life?" And yeah, and, and that is that is a thing. And so, hey, if you're doing hourly today, um, jumping straight to value might might be a challenge. And what I'd say is, hey, go read something like Breaking the Time Barrier. There's other people who talk about this concept out there as well. And, and then say, okay, what, what's, what's the next step for me? And because one of the things that's also important as you get into value-based is you generally want to carve out some kind of an area of expertise 
or as I like to say, have some kind of homogeny to your client base. And that homogeny, you don't want them all to be identical and no two clients are, but if they have some similarities, maybe it's an industry that they're in, or maybe if you're a music producer, you're producing, you know, a genre of music, you you then you have depth and expertise on how to achieve, you know, that sound, let's say. And, um, and if you become like the producer for this sound, then, you know, you know how to do it. You go deeper and deeper. You'll become more sought after over time. But but you also have the um, the ability to like you basically get you can make better things faster because you go go deeper on this stuff. And so I think a lot of people start out with hourly and that's totally fine. And you may find the journey from hourly to value. If you go on the journey, you know, you have some missteps, you know, that that's okay. You may have some clients who refuse to make the jump and you might say, okay, I'll leave you on hourly until, till later. And then you have all your clients off of hourly and yeah, all of them off hourly except for the one. And then you're going to be forced to decide, do I fire this person or do I let them persist? Um, and hopefully the relationship is at a place where they'll, they'll transition at that point. I have a, I think a hard question with this. So as I've been talking to my people I work with, do business coaching and stuff for this conversation comes up all the time, bill by the hour or value-based pricing, project-based pricing. And one of the things that's come up an awful lot is this idea, you know, everyone says, you know, don't sell your hours for dollars, no hours for dollars. And I hear that and man, like I'm the big, I'm a fanboy. I've read, read the book twice. I'm obsessed with it. You know, we preach it constantly, but I, I always wonder how much would you be willing to break your own rules for? If someone was like, I'll pay you a million dollars an hour, there's a <laughs> threshold there. Like at what point you're like, yeah, okay. And I think that's the funny thing about yeah. hourly pricing is it it's threshold based. Like I don't like to work for hourly, but at a certain price I will. I, I listen, I think that's a personal choice. I think all these things are personal choices. If you're billing by the hour, there's, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with you. I'm not judging you. If you're looking for another model that's, you know, maybe has some advantages, great. If somebody wants to pay you a million dollars an hour and, you know, it's like, no, I want you to pay me $10,000 an hour because it's value based or $10,000 <laughs> for this project instead of a million. Like, you know, let, let's, let's, Let's not be silly. I certainly, again, I, no, no judging. That might just be what they're accustomed to or, or whatever. But, but I do think, you know, even in that hourly rate, I'd like to think you ask these questions and you know where you're going and you know why you're going there and you know what the outcome is. I, you know, whether you charge value-based or not, uh, I think that the process of, of learning how to seek to understand your client and their goals and, and attempt to partner with them right, where you're on the same side of the table is a good thing. And if they just insist on paying you a million dollars an hour, that's fine. If you have to, you know, you can. But but I I, I think the the whole, there's, there's so much just good client relation goodness in this approach to billing that whether you use it to actually bill or not, it's, it's a good thing to learn about. I'm going to touch on something Chris just said. If, if a client's willing to pay me a million dollars an hour, I'm still going to do what Mike just said because there's some reason that my time is worth a million dollars to them. And so I want to discover that reason. I want to discover why it's so valuable to them. If only just to find more people like that, more customers like them who my time is worth a million dollars to, or whatever the number is, a million dollars is ridiculous, but just say 500 or a thousand. If, if someone's willing, if one person's willing to pay me that, it's because it's worth more than that to them. So I want to find out why that is so that I can find more clients like them. So that was my thought whenever Chris was bringing the weird million dollar number up. But I, st I still love the question, Chris. I'm not, I'm not dogging you at all. I just, this is a question. That's just the thought that came to my head. So you, you started to touch on something, Mike, that I want to go back to is 
you use the music producer example where you you find a specific genre that you want to master as a producer and or really any any freelance field that you're in you could be a certain style of photography you could be you know a certain you could be a, a videographer and you want to do music videos whatever that is and you want to you want to master this one thing you have a very a very interesting example in the breaking the time barrier book of this of the dog walker where she's a simple dog walker she's doing like $15 a dog walk, something like that. If you remember the story, Mike, and the coach, whoever that is, the, the guru, the helper, the person that's guiding her on this journey of like fixing this problem is giving her different ways to add value to her ideal customer. So as a music producer, what other ways can you add value to this client that you have? And it goes above and beyond just a specific skill. It's sometimes it's expanding the skills that you have or making use of skills that you already have. I don't know where I'm going with this because this is just something that I, I reread today and I, I just love this so much. And maybe you have thoughts on this, but I just want to talk. I, I look at it like the Chick-fil-A effect because Chick-fil-A <laughs> does this really well with like the mommy drive through where they like go through the drive through with the kids and then they'll set up the food inside so the mom doesn't have to lug her kids to the drive through Just really interesting, unique ways to add value to clients without taking on any additional expense yourself. I think that that's right is, is value like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And sometimes you can construct your service delivery in a way that costs you little to nothing more, but has, you know, has value for the other party. I did a podcast like this with a woman who does photography and uh, hopefully I can remember this and get it right. But basically she does family portraits and what she does is the following, which is interesting. Is she, um, in, in a given night, she'll go out, like after she's, you know, sort of had dinner with her family, she's got a 7 p.m. shoot. And she sells the 7 p.m. shoot for like $500. If you want, you can, you can get a family shot done for $150, but you don't know when it'll start. Because it's going to be after the 7 o'clock one. So for the person who values knowing when it's going to happen and getting their family there and being organized, that's 500 bucks. For the person who is prepared to wait around till the shoot is done, whether that's 815, 925, you know, whatever it is, they get it for 150. You know, I thought that was brilliant, right? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm paying for time certainty so I can organize my life and it can fit in or, you know, I'm happy to have a portrait and I'm flexible. And so with Almost any service that you offer, like if you're a music producer, like is the bar stocked in the studio or not? You know, like <laughs> it could be <laughs> a simple thing if people are you know partaking in those kinds of things. So I have I have no no idea what your thing is. You know, the dog walker would like take photos and send photos of the weekly walk. So the, the owner could be at work and not feeling bad because here's a great photo of my dog out getting a nice run. Th these are the kinds of things like you take the same service, a little bit of thinking, and it's like, oh, this is. This is a better, more valuable service. I'm prepared to pay more for it. I want to go back to something that you said that was like the biggest knowledge bomb we've had in a while on the podcast. You said value, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. Value, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. That is like a little nugget of wisdom from heaven. To, because <laughs> I think for us as freelancers, we're like, well... The industry average is blah, blah, blah. Like I should charge. You've got all these ideas about what you are, quote unquote, worth the W word. <laughs> and this idea for you to just bask in it, to marinate in this idea that value like beauty is in the eye of the beholder means that the value that you see in yourself might be significantly less than what a potential customer sees. And you need to align your view of your beauty, your value with their view 
I would go one further and be like, you don't even have to align it because you probably undervalue yourself. Like 99.9% of certainly creatives I know, you just, you just under, like it's, I, you know, I did, everybody does. It's, it's just, it's almost like human nature. So that, that's why it's so good to like, forget me. I'm just going to focus on you, client. <laughs> Let me understand your version of value. And I'm going to come up with a pricing construct where you're going to win and I'm going to win. That's simple. It doesn't even matter how I view myself and how worthwhile I am, right? That's that's the flip of it. Until you get that terrible, really awful client who doesn't value you and kind of degrades you and you need to fire them and move on right away. But for everyone else who's perfectly reasonable and you're, you know, delivering for, yeah, like just figure out what their version of value is. And, you know, that that's the place to focus. Yeah, Chris, Chris, you said something that, that sparked a thought where you you said that you may not even view yourself as valuable as your client because of the the quote that Mike, the wonderful quote that Mike said, made that will be the default like big quote that we put from this yep. episode. I'm sure James will use that. <laughs> I heard it. I was like, there it but, is. Uh, That's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, but I, I love that just the the process that Mike's walking us through here of having these conversations of discovery with your clients. Some people call them discovery calls. Some people try to disguise a discovery call as just a sales call. But at the end of the day, like if you're truly trying to discover your clients' needs, that's what a discovery call is. If you're doing these calls and you start to determine like how much value you're actually bringing. This helps reshape your own view of the service that you offer because you're starting to, to understand yourself, the value that you're bringing. And until you really put in the work to figure out how much you're helping someone transform their life or their business or their music or their, their vision or, or their whatever, the, whatever it is that you do, until you really take the time to understand the value you bring your client, it's hard to price accurately for what you do. You'll always undercharge because you won't have the confidence of understanding what it is that you do. Well, and I think that comes back to this word transformation that I brought up earlier, understanding what the transformation is that the person you're working with wants to see happen. They are this person. They want to be that person. They are seen as this. They want to be seen as that. You know, that transformation, that's what you're trying to figure out when you're doing this research, when you're doing these calls with somebody is figuring out who do you want to be? Can I help you get there? So Mike, I'd like to kind of shift the gear a little bit, but stay in the same vein. And that is leveling up clients, because I think one area that people struggle with is they're stuck in this bottom dollar world. And I think a lot of it comes with positioning. Some of it comes with not being focused on who you're helping and what outcome you're getting them to, all those things. But some of it's just not understanding how to really stair step those clients because this, and this ties into what we just said, because sometimes the same exact service that you offer is worth 10 times more to one person than it is to others. I'll give a quick example and then hand it over to Mike here. I could help just two guys talking sports in their basement, launch a podcast. I have a new podcast agency called Good Fortune Media. I've talked about it on this podcast and I could help guys talking about sports in their basement for fun, launch a podcast. Do you think that would be as valuable to someone like Mike? Do, does FreshBooks have a podcast? Well, yes, we do actually. Yes. Okay. Well, if you, just pretend for a second you didn't have a podcast. Do you think it'd be as valuable for these guys in the basement launching a, sp- a sports podcast do you think it's as valuable of a podcast to them as it is to FreshBooks? If I were to help FreshBooks launch a podcast, that would be something that is vastly more, more valuable to FreshBooks as a service than it is to two guys in a basement launching a fun, for fun sports podcast. I think that's right. You know, like the scale of the platform, the number of people that we're reaching, we're starting out as, you know, we have, we're a business today. So, so I, I think what you're getting at in a big way is, hey, like who your clients are you know, does matter with some of this stuff. And, and also, you know, by the way, you know, I, I don't know if you know, like there are, there are guys who'd like to do this from their basement 
you know, I, I don't know if you know Jay Onright. Anyways, good friend of my brother's. He's like, a, like he came down to the States. He's a Canadian sports caster, commentary guy. Very funny. Anyways. No shade whatsoever to guys in, in their basements doing podcasts. I was just using this example. I, I, I'm just saying he's a guy who's, you know, presumably had seven figure contracts done. So Brian, if like he might choose to one day do what he does instead of at the TV studio, but from his basement, and then you would charge him accordingly. And so the, the point is, yeah, who your clients are really matters, right? That's that, that is, that is, that is part of it. And you, you probably want to over time work up. It's a process of, you may look at your portfolio of clients and say, I love half of them. I hate half of them. Okay, great. So you want to have more of the ones you love and some ones even like better than your best ones today. And you want to move on from the other ones over time. And over time, you you can do that. But yes, you should not discount. It's, you know, these are relationships, right? You and your clients and, you know, who you have relationships with is going to be part of this. And then how you manage and tend that relationship as well, because, you know, the better the client and the higher the expectations, you know, you better deliver, right? You're going to charge them more. You better deliver. So it's it's a two-way street. Anyhow, maybe I'm running long on that point, but I, I, I think what you're really saying is the client matters. And yes, you're right. Do you know of, uh, like, what are some things that you have done, like, especially back in the freelancing days or people that you've worked with, with more recently of, of, of scaling up some of the quality of clients that they're working with, even if that's just identify, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on any of anything around scaling up to better clients or bigger clients. Well, a lot of it's networking. Let's face it. That's still the number one way most of us get our clients and our best clients, right? So maybe you talk to your existing clients and you ask for a referral. Maybe you're going to an industry event or something like this. And and so it's it's time out there. It's meeting people. It's it's you know forging a connection. It's it's calling a client up when you don't have an agenda and asking them how you're doing, what's new, you know, and you have a loose conversation out of that plops a, a really nice referral that, you know, you didn't go in expecting for, you didn't ask for, and it just kind of happened. You know, d- delivering, you know, most, you know, delivering, doing a good job. Like that's the classic. If you're, if you're in a home services business, let's say you're doing landscaping or something like the way you get more clients is you just do a great job and you serve your existing clients. Well, over time, like <laughs> that's the number one thing, just do a good job for the clients you have. But, but I will say some clients don't lead you to better clients. And so being mindful of that and having a bit of a sniffer when you're talking with a client, you're doing that discovery and being okay with saying, you know what, I need the money, but this is not like, this is a road that's probably not leading in the right direction. So I'm going to say no to this client and trust that something else is going to come my way shortly. And I think that's, I mean, that's like a, you know, put your faith in the universe kind of approach to things. And not everybody's super comfortable with that, but in my experience, it has a funny way of working out. Well, you said something else that was another amazing wisdom bomb here. Not all clients lead to better clients. And I think for most freelancers, I know I never did when I was learning how to build a business. I never thought to myself until I really started to read a lot of books, never thought to ask myself the question, is this client going to lead to better clients? Or even is this client going to lead to more clients? And I think it's really important to have that distinction to look at the people you're working with and to judge them, not just based on, are they paying you? but can they get you paid by somebody else too? Well said. Thank you. Mike, for those, for those listening that aren't really familiar with FreshBooks, I want to have you pitch it to us, but I, yeah. I want to share how I've talked about it with people. That's been so fun. When I've talked to a freelancer who is on invoicing, meaning they do the work and then they send the client an invoice and say, please pay me in a reasonable amount of time. And for a lot of people that are in the higher echelons of whatever industry they're in, that tends to be the way that 
I think that I often see at work. When I've explained what FreshBooks, at least like the initial value that FreshBooks presented years ago of like, yeah, you just like send an invoice and then FreshBooks watch, watches your bank account and then they keep getting reminder emails until they pay you and then you don't have to do any more follow-up. And it's so fun to watch people's eyes go like, what? <laughs> and then they run home and download FreshBooks. And I think that happened with Brandon Reich or, or maybe Brandon, he's a guy that's been on the podcast before, uh, a good friend of mine. This literally sounds like a situation that my wife is going through right now. She's like, how, many, how long should I wait before following up with my client to pay me? Because my wife's a freelancer as well. She's a freelance writer. So I'm genuinely interested in free, learning more about fr, uh, FreshBooks. So Mike, I know you said like, here's the thing. Mike is a humble guy. Everyone here like listening so far knows Mike's a humble guy. He's like, he wouldn't even say they're a billion dollar business yet. Like he, he had to like dance around that. He's like polite, humble guy. And he's even said, I'm not really big on pitching audiences and stuff, but like, I genuinely want to learn more about it. And I'd love for him to tell our audience more about FreshBooks because I think it's genuinely helpful if this is something that you need. So I'd love for Mike to give us a, a bit of a rundown on FreshBooks yeah. as well. And, and let me let me hop on with what you're saying. Convince me to stop using QuickBooks, please. Yes, please God. Because <laughs> I've been using I've been using GoDaddy bookkeeping for like 10 years and I hate it and I want to move, Mike. So please. This is good. This, this, if you listen carefully, will be valuable to you. You'll save a lot of time and, okay, okay. and uh, you can put that to other things. If you, you take what you're about to hear and put it, put it into action. So, okay. So let's, let's sell you on FreshBooks. So what do you need to know? There's, there's just a, a few things. So, Hey, we're credible. You know, we're number two for small business accounting software in America. Like, good job. Good job, FreshBooks. But, but the question is why there, there is something that makes FreshBooks different, which is in, instead of serving all small businesses, we just serve service-based businesses, folks who really get paid for their, their time and expertise. So we don't do retail. We don't do restaurants. By virtue of that, the product that we build is much simpler and easier to use. And it is more specific to the needs of the customers that we serve. So, so we started out, our history and our origin story was just online invoicing. Can I create and send an invoice online? Because that was my problem. I saved over an invoice. So we, we literally just built invoicing. Then we needed estimates. So we, we, I was like, oh, I need a quote to get that one. And you know what? We built expenses into our platform. You want to know why? Not because I want to track expenses, but because I had to rebuild my clients for expenses. So I had to track those expenses and then get them on an invoice. So, so the point is we come at it very much from a, a first principles understanding, you know, the segment of customers that you folks serve. And what that, you know, results in is, is some of the magic you all were talking about where, you know, where you can send an invoice in FreshBooks. If the client views it, you can tell they viewed it. Sometimes people will be like, oh, I didn't get the invoice. You could be like, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I can see here that you viewed the invoice. You just didn't act on it. So please, please, you know, pay me now. The the other, you know, other really neat thing is just on, you know, we're so receivables focused because invoicing is is 95% of how our customers collect their, their revenue and their income that we, we put a lot of automation into it. So for example, you can, you can have reminders go in and at the schedule of your choosing, you know, 15 days, 30 days, you know, 60 days, 90 days, whatever you want. You set it up and we, we send an email out and it comes from us, but it's your business. And so what, what happens then is you'll be surprised by this, but often the clients will respond to, oh my gosh, you know, I'm sorry, I, I will, I will take care of this. So instead of you having to do that, like, 
you know, put your hat in your hand and, and go and say, oh, please pay for my late invoice. We just take care of that for you. It has a strange effect of a lot of clients just being like, you know, taking it seriously because it seems like you're so organized when really you just, you know, created and sent an invoice in FreshBooks. So we could probably go on and talk about a bunch more, but I think that's a bit of the why. So it's you know, really built for, for you if you're, if you're a services-based business. What's funny is if you if you listen to closely to the way Mike explained that, A, it's just good. Like he's talking about it from the perspective of the freelancer. What's it you? So that's just something to to pick up on there for anyone struggling with with pitching or sales. But also Mike did exactly what he just talked about. He narrowed down to one specific type of customer, which is a freelancer or a service-based business, not retail, not restaurants, and created a product that met met their exact needs. And because of that, the result of that is they're the number two solution in the world for that. And they have over 500 people working for them. They're worth over a billion dollars and, and, and they have reached a level that I can't even fathom. So with that, I just got to say kudos to you, Mike, for practicing what you preach essentially, which is not surprising because I, you don't seem like a guy that wouldn't be the guy that practices what he preaches. So if anyone wants to try FreshBooks, I'm going to, I'm actually genuinely going to try it out. We can report back Chris later and and report our findings on it because I want to start using it for the rest of the year and then move over to it fully for 2022 because I tend to make changes like that at the end of the year if I'm going to. And, uh, but yeah, I'd love for you yeah. to send people where to go to, to try that stuff out or anywhere else you want to send them. A Co- couple of things. I don't want just you. I'd like your wife also to be using FreshBooks. Clearly she needs it. Oh so no, it was, it was going to be both of it. It was going to be a family move. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but there's, there's some truth to it. So uh, given those, those conversations she was having, I think it'd be helpful for her. So if you'd like to learn more about FreshBooks, I'd encourage you to just go to freshbooks.com. Anyone can get started with a free trial. I, I think alongside of the fact that, you know, we, we, just serve service-based businesses and and reflective of that is you can pick up the phone and speak with us try it you'll get a human and in probably less than two rings and that person you know 95 percent of the time is going to answer all of your questions and so please please lean on us that's what we're here for we are a service also and we just think that's a better experience we know how busy entrepreneurs are when they need help they don't often need help but when they need help just being able to get a fast competent answer is is so very important so so yes go ahead and try it for free at freshbooks.com and or give us a call and we'd love to we'd love to serve you have the opportunity to. So thanks. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Thanks for having me. 